of the UK Law Weekly podcast with me, your host, Marcus Cleaver. This week we're going to be looking at a reference by the Attorney General for Northern Ireland, and the citation for this case is 2020 UKSC 2. And the case that we're looking at this week gets us into some of the administrative issues around devolution. While that does have a bit of a tendency to be a little dry, and sometimes downright confusing, we will attempt to cut through and get to the key issue, which in this case is the distinction between acts by the UK government and acts by the Northern Ireland government. The source of the dispute is a commencement order from 2017 that commenced a number of provisions relating to the controversial policy known as universal credit. It is the argument of the original claimant and the Attorney General for Northern Ireland that the legislation in question breached a number of human rights, including Articles 8, 12 and 14, as well as Article 1 of the First Protocol to the European Convention on Human Rights. Unfortunately, making a claim such as this is not as easy as simply making this argument before the court and waiting for a decision. That is because it raises issues around devolution in Northern Ireland. The claim actually relates to Section 24 of the Northern Ireland Act 1998, which states that a minister or department of the Northern Ireland government, quote, has no power to make, confirm or approve any subordinate legislation or to do any act so far as the legislation or act is incompatible with any of the convention rights, end quote. Beyond that, the application of the Attorney General is brought under Schedule 10, Paragraph 34 of that same Act, which allows them to make a reference in respect of any devolution issue. Where things get interesting is the definition of what constitutes a devolution issue, as that is the subject of this decision by the Supreme Court. In theory, it is where the exercising of a function by a Northern Ireland department would be invalid by reason of Section 24, that we have just talked about a moment ago. The real sticking point is whether this is indeed an exercising of a function by the Northern Ireland government, or if it is instead the UK government that is exercising a power, in which case the Northern Ireland Act would not apply and the application would not be allowed. To start understanding this, we need to go back and think about how the commencement order functions and interacts with the universal credit legislation. The legislation takes effect across a number of postcode districts, and it is the Northern Ireland Department for Communities which creates and issues these lists. However, it is the UK Government Secretary of State for Work and Pensions who actually appoints the relevant date and commences the legislation. Thus, both Westminster and Belfast play a role, so it is up to the Supreme Court to decide whether there is a sufficient role played by the Northern Ireland Executive in order for the application to proceed. With that in mind, the arguments by both sides are relatively simple. The Attorney General submits that providing the lists of postcodes is enough of an act to allow an application because without it the legislation would not be commenced at all. Meanwhile, the UK's Department for Communities argued that the ultimate power to make welfare provisions rests with the Secretary of State and that the role played by the Northern Ireland Department in creating the lists amounts to little more than administrative support. In other words, the Legal Act comes from the Secretary of State, and so there is no devolution issue within the definition of Section 24 to the Northern Ireland Act 1998. For the Justices of the Supreme Court, they began by noting that a devolution issue does require some act 
by a Northern Ireland department or minister. The question then becomes what constitutes an act and whether the provision of a list of postcodes is enough. For the Supreme Court, production of the list of postcodes was ancillary to the enactment of the statutory instrument, and it is possible that such an act may fall within the definition of a devolution issue under Section 24. That should be good news for the Attorney General of Northern Ireland, but in actual fact the Justices eventually decided against classifying this as a devolution issue for two key reasons. The first is that there are parallel proceedings that are ongoing about the human rights implications of the universal credit legislation, and will soon be considered by the Supreme Court anyway. Instead of pursuing this reference, it will be open to the Attorney General to intervene in those proceedings when they are heard. The second reason does more to get to the heart of the case. At a very basic level, this is an argument against a policy that has been introduced and implemented by the UK government in Westminster on human rights grounds. In the grand scheme of things, the fact that the Northern Ireland Department has a say in which areas it is introduced is frankly not that important and does not have much bearing on the human rights question overall. The publication of the list itself would not be sufficient to constitute a devolution issue, so it is not really appropriate to consider it in this instance. When it comes to our own analysis of this case, I think it is possible to say that while the overall result makes a lot of sense, the reasoning is not especially strong. What I mean by this is that this question will indeed come up again in the Supreme Court, and the link between the actions of the government in Belfast and the universal credit policy of the UK government is pretty tenuous. Nevertheless, it is hard to see any legal reason why this reference was not allowed. After all, there was some form of action taken by the Northern Ireland Department, and although the link to the wider policy is pretty limited, it does exist and thus appears to satisfy the requirements under the Northern Ireland Act 1998. Reconciling these two points is difficult, but I don't think it is impossible. The justices of the Supreme Court could potentially have conjoined the cases so that a full judgment was handed down all at the same time. This has the dual advantage of confirming the legitimacy of the Attorney General for Northern Ireland's reference, while making sure that nothing is lost in terms of the full appeal that is due to make its way up from the Court of Appeal this year. Meanwhile, in terms of that appeal and the human rights case against universal credit in general, we will cover those arguments when it gets to the Supreme Court. For the time being, it is suffice to say that the government doesn't appear to be in a strong position, as it has already been found in the Court of Appeal that the legislation discriminates against those with severe disabilities. It is shaping up to perhaps be the biggest case of 2020, and it will be a real challenge to the top court in the land to see if they will react to the external pressures put on them by a government that is keen to curtail the powers of review in their current form. Well, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast episode, and thanks as ever to bensound.com who provide the theme music. One quick note before I leave, just to say a big thank you to the staff and students at the University of Huddersfield for being so welcoming when I spoke at their university for a careers talk last week. It was really great to be there. Anyway, I'll be back with another case to talk about next week on the podcast, but for now, bye!